quick disclaimer. The thoughts and opinions expressed on the Doored Up podcast are strictly those of the hosts and guests of the show and do not reflect official policies or viewpoints of any law enforcement, government, or public service entity, nor is the Doored Up podcast officially affiliated with said agencies. The Doored Up podcast contains mostly true stories told by the law enforcement officers, firefighters, emergency medical services personnel, military veterans, and first responders who lived through them. Some names and details may have been changed to protect the anonymity of persons involved. I realize that some listeners may be familiar with these stories, and we would encourage them to refrain from commenting with any clarifying details that might violate that anonymity. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, what's up, everybody? How's it going? Welcome back. This is your host, Drew. This is the Doored Up Podcast. This is episode 11, Snake Eater Part 2. I need you to stop, go back. If you haven't listened to episode 10, Snake Eater Part 1, you're going to get lost in the sauce on this one and you're not going to know what's going on. So you got to go back and listen to that episode first. This is part two of a two-part episode. That being said, I sat down with Shannon and my best friend of all time, my older brother, Snake, who is an active and operational member of the United States Army Special Operations Forces. He is a Green Beret. He sat down and we traded some war stories. And uh, this was the result. So I hope you guys enjoyed part one. This will be part two. So everybody that's been waiting for this one to come back, here it is. So buckle up, enjoy the ride. Snake Eater, part two, with my good buddy Snake. On my way out the door. Yeah? Yeah. Hopefully. But, oh man, I felt, you know, we've talked years later because... I gave him such a hard time yeah. just because he was my platoon sergeant and he was the one that was telling me to do this dumb shit. And he knew that it was like, listen, I know you don't want to do this. I don't want to tell you to have to do this shit. Like a mandatory 5k, <laughs> a fun run. This is mandatory fun. Like man fun. Yep. Go fuck yourself. I'll do your 5k. I'll show up. I'll wear your fucking stupid t-shirt. You're going to make me wear with my PTs. That's out of uniform. Uh, but I'm not running your 5k. <laughs> I'll show up. I'll do the 5K, but I'm walking. I'm taking my fucking... And I did. And they made me do a PT test. I did the same thing. It was like, what are you going to do? You know? Fuck you guys. And they're like, well, if you pass the PT test, we'll promote you to E6. I'm like, why? And then you're going to want me to re-enlist. For three fucking years. Yeah. Like, fuck you guys. I want nothing to do with any of this. I was in a bad place. That's the only reason I did 5Ks during that deployment. So I didn't... Get the t-shirt? So like, yeah, because it's the only thing. You couldn't wear civvies yet. Yeah, so and it was we the were the only time you could wear a non-army yeah t-shirt. You did a five k. You did the five k. You could you wear could the t-shirt you, you like get to your the turkey town hall. trot for Thanksgiving or <laughs> yeah. your Santa Claus one for the St. Patrick's Day yeah. one. Yeah, I do remember. I do remember all of that. <laughs> they were really cheap, so by the time oh, they you were to go so home, bad. you could just throw them away. They like wearing toilet paper. <laughs> they just fall apart. You wash them a few times. Like all the emblems were peeling off and shit. But yeah, it was. But the, I. I, a t-shirt that said army yeah <laughs> so uh got through the d lab is what it's called well d lab that's the testing portion yeah right? and to figure actually out where you're so i fall. did the d you do the d lab if you're not already an identified linguist or having that skill identifier mm-hmm. uh you do the d lab in selection that's part of the okay you do that at the front part you do they do some psychological testing too and <laughs> so the d lab is the defense lab language, language aptitude, aptitude battery, battery. yeah so that's basically it, where they figure out if you're smart enough to to learn a foreign language. Yeah. 
<laughs> and I learned French. Yeah. Well, initially, <laughs> initially, well, initially, I was going to learn Indonesian. Oh fuck! Like that's pretty specific. Well, Indonesian is like the easiest language to learn, right? And except for English, yeah. They say English is like if you don't if you're not a native language English speaker that it's pretty easy to learn. Yeah, but and then things changed and but what that meant was because at the time our target languages were Indonesian, Korean, Mandarin. That uh, that part of the world. Yeah, that <laughs> part of the world. They're like, well, you're gonna learn Korean, like. Well, I guess we'll see. <laughs> then they're like, all right, our alignment's changed. Now you get to learn either French, Russian, or Arabic. You're going to do Russian. I'm like, I'm doing French. Right. You don't get a choice, but <laughs> you can manipulate it to work the way you want if you're smart enough <laughs> standing in the right line. Right. <laughs> That's funny. You're like, I'm like, no, I'm supposed to speak French. Oh, okay. Whatever. I don't got time nope, for this. No, Just, no crucifixion for me. Go, nope. Yep. They said, I don't do anything oh, wrong. I'm in the wrong line. I'm I sorry. Could, I could I go. said French. I could go. Go, go get in that I line. said, I could go live on an island somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Crucifixion for me. That's another obscure Monty Python yep. reference that a few people will get. So I did language. Got through that. My son was born. Awesome. One of two of the best days of my life. Yep. The other one, my daughter was born. Yep. And there's other best days of my life, too, but I love my kids. Your kids are awesome. <laughs> they are. They're little, yeah. <laughs> that's that's a whole other episode. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> then I went to my MOS phase, So, and that's where I went to the actual weapons portion. And, and that, was actually, that was pretty cool. So I had to learn FDC. Oh, so fire direction control. Fire direction control for mortar systems. Right. It's the same FDC you do for artillery. It's the same concept. Yep. So being an artilleryman, it was, mortars were a forward concept to me. It was right. just smaller. It was relatively native. But they're still challenging. They're they're actually a challenging system to uh, master. Right. Because you did almost 10 years as an artilleryman. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Several well, years as an artilleryman before you transitioned over. Well, here's what I learned. All right, so you remember on the guns, you got to bubble up. You yep. know, you set your you set your quadrant, your gunner's quadrants, and your pantel, and you got to bubble up. Well, on the mortar, same principle, but you have a sight, a mortar sight. Right. And it's got your deflection on there. You crank it on there. You have fine adjustments on the bipod of the mortar okay. for deflection. And elevation. That's your deflection is your left and right adjustment on the gun. So, but if you have to do gross changes in deflection, you you can't crank. Right. And keep your bubbles level. So you have to actually pick up the bipod, shift it, you know, and point it in the direction you need it to go. How many mils are we talking? Like, what do you got for adjustment on the crank? If you're doing more in, we'll say, 30 mils either way. Okay. Even that's more like 15. If you're doing more than 15 mils either way, you, you need to do a gross shift. Sure. So Because what, it becomes increasingly difficult to level up the gunner's sight. Right. And, like, you breathe on a mortar, and you'll knock your bubbles off. Okay. Makes I, sense. And it's just the smaller the system, the more sensitive it more is. More fragile So, like, the 120s, the yeah. 120s is just, like, messing with the old 19 or 8. You know, right. you, could, you could lean on it. You could... <laughs> Do this and easy. You get down to the 60 millimeter and that thing, it, it is sensitive. Right. You're just like, eh. I bet. But primary way we employ them, we do it in a direct lay mode. Okay. And handheld fire with a 60. Sure. 
because it's the lightest configuration yep. you can have the mortar in if if you're dismounted. Sure. You know, depending on your mission set, you may have trucks, you may not. Right. Uh, and that depends, that determines your loadout. Right. Uh, shoot, shoot a 60 millimeter mortar in uh, handheld mode and direct, le- in direct fire mode. So it's awful. like you're standing on the bottom of the tube, yeah. essentially. Yeah. So it's got a little, call it a toe plate. It's about this big for it's those of you that can't see my hands. Like, like an envelope. Three, yeah. Size of a manila envelope, a little smaller. Yeah, you carry that on there. And you can only hand fire on a charge zero or a charge one okay. with the mortar round. Otherwise, so you can break lowest, your hand. The lowest charges. Yep. You put your, you hold the tube in your, your left hand. You put your thumb on there. Your thumb's your sight. <laughs> <laughs> and you got a little elevation scale on the bottom. It's got a little bead in it. Nice. And, you know, that's your range depending on charge. There's two scales. You can just do your best estimation. <laughs> and remember, it's an area weapon. Right. So, and then you just that's start. A, that's a fuck everybody over there weapon. Yep. <laughs> you just start laying hate. And it's a great time. That's fucking awesome. Uh, that's, so that's when, like, we got into, what, it's about 2008, about that time frame. And, uh, you know, you're regularly going to drill. You're going through the weapons course. And I was getting all these video messages from you all the time of you just <laughs> shooting these fucking crazy guns and yep. all this equipment that, like, I'd never gotten to see in the Army. Like, fucking, you know, the... The mini guns and yep. all sorts of crazy shit. Grease guns and you name uh, it. Grease gun, that'd be fun. Yeah. So, so that was the thing. So as you go through the weapon, there's a bunch of different stuff. But your primary focus is like the first part was light weapons. Sure. And then you went into heavy weapons. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you did some more basically stuff geared towards actual operations and doing uh, full mission profile hits mm-hmm. on targets and stuff like that. Uh, things that are geared towards what you're going to be doing. Because you, you, your 18 Bravos on uh, Operational Detachment Alpha, they're, they're basically the number two to the Zulus. Right. Uh, as far as operations and planning goes. You know, so you're helping uh, organize and plan missions sure. with them and the captain. You know, it's, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. But uh, back to the weapons course. It's, it's candy land, man. Right. The weapons course is hard because the instructors were fuckheads. Okay. And so do you have to like on all those weapon systems? Do you have to qualify with? Well, them? you don't. No, you don't. You don't have to qualify. But you got to familiarize yourself. Yeah. With so it. like light weapons, it's like your three. It's like three weeks of being a factory worker. Right. Taking guns apart and putting them back together. If if somebody doesn't cap hold get hold of a spring and it flies across the room. And lands on the floor, everybody gets the dog shit smoked out of them. Right. So you can lose more, more guys in MOS, too. Right. Huh. <laughs> you know, and they find new and creative ways to fuck with you. <laughs> <laughs> and how so, long was that? That was 18 weeks. Okay. That's what I thought. I remember it being pretty lengthy. So, but yeah, I got to mess with a whole passel of foreign weapons. And one of my favorite things, and we have one at my unit. Is an M1A1 Thompson submachine gun. Fuck yeah. We Give had, me the chopper. We, we had ammo. <laughs> oh, George, not the cows. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, the Thompson is awesome. It's it's just 12 pounds of pure joy. Yeah. That's what, what makes it run so well is how fucking heavy it is. Yeah. Of course, you know, you see my old car 15 right there. Yeah. I got behind me. Yeah. Anytime. S- seven Any- pounds of... Uh, Seven pounds and thirty rounds of high velocity ammo, or you could 
carry the Thompson with 20 rounds and of flying ash, 12 two, pounds, two, uh, 230 grain, 45 caliber ash, flying ashtrays. Yeah. Well, that's the thing people don't realize with uh, carrying a sub gun mm-hmm. is how heavy the ammo is. Fuck yeah. You know, you're, you're people that haven't really dealt with them because just a nine mil MP5s because we have MP5s, you know. Yeah. And I've fooled around with those plenty. So, like, you take your, your vet, you get your six magazine load out, like with your whatever for. Uh, five, five, six rounds. Okay, the bullets weigh sixty-two grains. Yeah, nine mil bullets weigh one hundred fifteen grains. Yeah, I mean it's twice the weight. Yep, with none in, of the distance. In, in half thought of that before. In yeah. half the length of the cartridge. Yeah. yeah, so it's more compact, but it's heavier. But there, there are certain roles that they fulfill that they're handy for, and some machine guns are just fucking awesome to shoot. Anyway. Yeah, they're fun. I w- I wish we still had. I still had access to the ones that we that we had for a while because they're they're fun, man. It's, it's like, like it's like shooting a sewing machine. Like, just, like the first law enforcement agency I worked for, we had an MP5 SD. Yeah, and I may or may not have taken it out, shot jackrabbits with it. <laughs> <laughs> I've shot MP5s and uh, Colt AR9s. They're nice. Yeah, MP5 MP5 is it's a Cadillac. Yeah. But I've shot I've shot those. I've shot the old German MP40s. Yep. Those are cool, too. I remember you sent me a video. I think it was an MP5K. Yep. So the little chopped down, well, no I, butt I can show you a video on my phone where I'm wielding two MP5Ks, a <laughs> maybe, Kimbo. Maybe that's what it was. <laughs> I think it was one of those. But I remember when you sent me the one of the grease gun. I was like, the M3 grease gun. It's like that's fucking awesome. Those grease are gun such is awesome. Cool it's little still 45 caliber, right? Yep. Grease yep. gun is 45 caliber. Uh, 450 rounds a minute. You can literally draw your name with it. <laughs> and it's all stamped out of fucking sheet metal. Mm-hmm. And it's lighter than the Thompson. And the rate of fire is significantly slower than a Thompson. Right. So that allows it to be lighter and, and it, more controllable. And it fires from the open bolt. Yep. So does Thompson. Oh, does it? Yep. I didn't know that. I thought they were closed bolt. But yeah, I've shot, you know, grease gun, Tommy gun, uh, MP40s. Beretta M12s, the, the you see the Austin Powers henchman carrying yeah. those. <laughs> yeah, it's a good gun. Uh, French Mat 49, uh, it's a cool gun. Magazine folds up, you know, when you stow it away. Yeah, you f- click it back down, and you can rock and roll again. Yeah, uh, Stoner 63. <laughs> which I should have known. Sad, sadly, no, I've not shot a Stoner 63. I have the modern day equivalent of the Stoner 63 oh. in my. Uh, Gun locker, gun locker. Yeah. <laughs> Little Robinson Arms M96. Yeah. I sent that picture. I'm like, ah, oh, this is great. Like, I just discovered what they were a couple yeah. years ago, and I'm like, Stoner 63 is great. Yeah. And he sends me a picture like, well, yeah. You could shoot this one anytime <laughs> you want. Like, and you can. <laughs> that, and then the, uh, I've always wanted to shoot a Galil. I've never shot a Galil. Yeah, Galils are cool. Yeah. Uh, we don't it's like, have. It's like a smarter AK. Yep. The Galil. Is the Israeli take on the AK platform? It's an awesome gun, you know. If uh, you if you've ever watched um, the way of the gun, yep. There's a scene in the shootout where, uh, like, towards the end of the movie, where Benicio del Toro just chops this fucking room in half with a fucking Galil. Like, if you if you if you've never seen that movie and you consider yourself a like a movie shootout fan. Do yourself a favor and watch that movie. It's a great movie. That's such a fucking oh. good movie. 
Oh man, one that's favorites. one of my top. Like I had, and the my guys that are going to listen to this, my guys in my squad and my platoon from first platoon on that second deployment, I had a file, a folder of required viewing movies. Like you had to watch these movies. So I had like Steve McQueen in the Getaway. I had Way of the Gun. Oh, there was like five or six movies that it was like, you want to hang with me? You got to watch these movies because I'm going to reference this shit all the time. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, then just fucking leave. And it was, yeah, Way of the Gun was like top three easily. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And it makes my forearms hurt thinking about when they jumped into that fountain uh, in the town square. And there was nothing but broken glass in it. They're like, I'm going to jump in the water fountain. <laughs> and it's <was> like, ah! <laughs> Those guys take a beating, but eh, everybody eventually does the right thing for some right reason. Yeah. 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 That's yeah so. So the gun that Benicio del Toro was using was a Galil SAR. It's the seven six two version of the Galil. Yeah, and the thing's a beast. And, you know, and there's five five six versions as well. And those are those were more common. The they would those SARs they set them up for designated marksman rifles and squad support weapons. Right. You know, before they got into other things, Israelis were great for making things. Mm-hmm. So awesome. Fast forward a few more years, you have sent me pictures, and I'll I'll find one that I've got of you that I had posted, where I blurred out your face on it was like on best friend National Fe- Best Friend Day <laughs> oh, of you, you. Uh, when you went to Afghanistan with your scar, and I was oh. like, that's such a fucking badass picture of you that I'll I'll put that one up just because it's got your face blurred out because I had already blurted out on there. I'll put that one up on the podcast notes <laughs> on Instagram. Everybody can see that. But, yeah, I remember you sending me pictures of you, like, and I'd get random shit from you when you were in Afghanistan, just, like, totally without context, you know, because, like, you didn't have enough bandwidth or whatever to send a whole conversation. You just send a photo. And here's this one of you, classic, in Tiger Stripes, with this fucking sewing machine, like, in a fucking mud hut, like, with this old-ass sewing machine. And I'm like, well, there's a story there that I'm eventually going to have to get. That's my soldier of fortune photo there. <laughs> <laughs> and of course you had like, you know, the, so part of your persona that you have geared after is uh metal gear solid and solid snake. Yep. So the, the tiger stripe outfits and the headbands, like that's all, it's all part of that. And uh, I just would be like, what the fuck? Like that's fucking snake shit. Like he's just, <laughs> so I don't even ask questions I anymore. <laughs> I get it, you know, like, I'm like, what do your teammates think when you roll in like this? <laughs> <laughs> I wear tiger stripes. Fuck it. Where the hell well, did I you get tiger only, stripes at? I wasn't the only one wearing tiger stripes. Right. My junior weapons guy was too, because I gave him a set for his, <laughs> uh, for his uh, wedding anniversary or something. Nice. And he's a good I'd, dude. And I'd be he, rocking some Rody Bush plaid or some shit, you know. Uh, so, note on him, I'll just use his gear, which is Crash. Okay. Stud. Guy is a stud. Made my life easy. Came back, went back to active duty, and did actually complete a Delta selection. Oh, nice. So as far as I know, he's in the operator training course right now. He's a hard fuck. Good for him, Before man. Before he completed it. Good for him. Young, young, super athlete. Fucking awesome. One of, one of my best buds. Nice. Uh, but, so, all right. Old ass sewing machine, <laughs> tiger stripes, bandana, bandana, bandana. Smile, big fucking grin. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to take this sewing machine home with me. Oh, okay. 
but it also weighed like 45 pounds. Yeah, because they're fucking heavy. And I also was in Helmand province at the time. Oh. So I'm on one of the worst places on earth. You don't want to be packing a fucking sewing I'm not gonna, machine. I'm, I'm not going to get schwacked in the middle of the fucking night humping a sewing machine to the helicopter. <laughs> not to mention they'd be like, what the fuck? Like, you know what? Never mind. You guys do your own thing. It, it would have been cool, dude. <laughs> but I'll tell you what happened to it is it got about five wraps of deck cord around it. Like It got blown up with about. Fuck them. I'm denying the enemy. If I don't get to take it home, nobody well, does. So here's what they were doing. Uh, this particular mud hut was a storehouse for uh, raw, unprocessed opium. Okay. And no, that's why he had a smile on his face. <laughs> that's why everybody had a smile on their face. And then the whole valley had a smile on their face after we burn it down. Yeah, they took that picture. I have this thing, and it's like, oh, I wish. <laughs> so we destroyed it with the rest of that little compound and about 20 tons of raw beast. Nice. And... Uh, that that was a good night. We uh we hurt the Taliban's feelings a lot that night. Fuck them. <laughs> Fuck Terry. <laughs> I, it was also a shitty night, and it almost went downhill real quick because I wanted to get into this after after we talked about Baghdad, but we'll, we'll get there too. Yeah. That night, so we used Russian helicopters, and we had our Afghan partner force, and there were multiple airships and this little flotilla sure on this mission all our missions were at night so i saw most of afghanistan under night vision goggles <laughs> under green a haze of green yeah actually a blue white because you got lots of white, white phosphorus phosphorus tubes, night vision goggles. <laughs> i'm telling you when when we made the change to to white phosphor as with my swat team it opened my eyes figuratively and literally to a whole new world of night vision yeah but that's a sidetrack go ahead no no you're good so we're coming into the, the LZ. We actually, we left, we left Kandahar Airfield and we went over to Camp Leatherneck, which was a Marine base, obviously, mm-hmm. because of Leatherneck. Right. That's a fucking ghetto is what we, you're saying. <laughs> well, we refilled. You got to make sure you lock the doors and, and, and we shit. had to kill time until dark. Right. So I just remember, you know, here I am, you know, unorthodox kit, tiger stripes, beard, bandana, I go over to this little Marine corporal standing guard on this gate. I'm like, hey, corporal, where's the head at? He's like, who the fuck are you, man? <laughs> and uh, I'm like, he's like, you can just piss right there if you want. So I went and pissed on a Hesco barrier, you know. Then yep. went and had some snack agent stuff and then got dark, fired up the birds, went in. So we were coming into the LZ, and there were birds that were piloted by Afghans. And the birds that carried oh, Americans yes, you've told me this were story. piloted by Americans. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these guys were, these pilots were the shit. And I'm still alive because of these pilots. Right. Unfortunately, we're going into the LZ and it's starting to brown out, even in the dark. Right. I'm in the aft portion of the aircraft next to the ramp because I'm the first guy off and the last guy on because that's my element. Right. And I'm in charge of all those guys and make sure I got accountability of all of them. Mm -hmm. So I'm craned around. I'm looking out the porthole on this helicopter. And I'm like giving a countdown to my guys because the ramp's going to open. And we're going to bust out of there, you know, get get in posture so the birds can leave. Right. And continue with the mission. And, well, as the brownout occurs, the Afghan, there's an Afghan bird coming in. And he's 
about to strike our rotor disc. Right. And we're probably 25 feet off the ground. And the only thing that my pilot could do was he had to cut the power on the bird. Right. And so it slammed us in the ground. I, I thought we ripped a, one of the wheel struts off, and it was it was pretty hard. It dumped my, my crew chief. She almost dumped out the freaking door on you know, on the fuselage. Right. Where she's holding on to her 240. And like, so I'm giving the countdown. I'm like, well, I guess that's the ground. <laughs> she, she, she gets back. She opens the ramp for me. You know, I get everybody out. Well, I'm craned around my head. You know, I got freaking helmet, nods, and that, that hard landing really messed up my back and neck. Yeah, I bet. At the time, I didn't know because adrenaline. Right. And that, that mission that night lasted six hours, seven hours, you know, mm-hmm. all night long. And I've had issues with that ever since. Um, it's really messed with my range of motion. And yeah. Part of, part of why I'm going to retire soon. <laughs> well, uh, it's... Uh... So, but our mission, you know, almost changed drastically from uh, hurting people's feelings to uh, protecting a downed aircraft and right. trying not to die. <laughs> right. So did they contact? Did the birds touch? No, okay. no, he got out of the way. Oh, if they'd have contact, you, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. Yeah, my my corpse would be <laughs> seared into the uh, airframe of an MI seventeen <laughs> helicopter. Well, yeah. As far as getting fucking banged up, man, that's where I was having a conversation just this last week on a training day with one of my guys on the team. It was like, "How old are you, man?" Because he was like. Oh man, I'm fucking stoved up and I'm stiff. Like I got to warm up just to go shoot at the range. Like, how old are you, man? It's like 31, and he's done at least one tour in Afghanistan. I think two. And I was like, Yeah, well, you know what they say? It's not the years; it's the miles. Like I feel your pain, dude. Like I'm 37, <laughs> yep. and I have days where I'm like, I don't even want to get out of bed. So, but I haven't almost crashed in helicopters and shit. <laughs> like, right. Just saying. That's, we landed it as hard as we could without breaking it. Yeah. A lot. That pilot later, he's like, yeah, I can't get the tailgate closed on that thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I had the airframe bent. <laughs> uh, uh, so, so yeah, that's, that's a story about the sewing machine. Yeah. That's, yeah. I just remember getting that. I can't remember if you emailed it to me or if you sent it on WhatsApp I or something like that. It. I just remember being like, what the fuck? Because it was like, hey, check this out. And it was like, what? You got to give me more than that. You know, what does this even mean? I realized at the time, you know, like I knew I was lucky to just get to hear from you, you know, that you were, you were busy doing shit over there. And given the nature of what you do with your unit, like I knew I was probably not going to get much information, but it was one of those, like, I'm going to have to corner you about that story eventually sometime <laughs> and be like, what the fuck was the deal with this sewing machine? Because I remember showing it to my mom and, you know, because my mom is into sewing machines and she was like, well, that's like, that's vintage, you know, obviously like, you know, can you zoom it in and make it any bigger? Like it just gets blurry. It wasn't a great photo, but. It was, uh, <laughs> so my Fox, my Intel sergeant on that team, he was, his language was Arabic. Okay. So he could read. It just, I'm like, so what, is, what does it say? Yeah. It, was, it just said Ream. Okay. That's just whatever the brand name was, you yeah. know. And you were over there. Is this the specifically designed machine to make vests? Yes, to sew together. <laughs> sew together. <S-vest. laughs> you don't know what an S-vest is. It's a suicide vest for yeah. a suicide bomber. Yeah. 
you were over there in, was it 16? 2017. 17, okay. Yep, got to be there close. for the fighting season of 2017. Yeah. Holy and you were there for most of a year? Yeah. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> Send that to me, and I'll blur your face out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll blur your face out. I'll put those two yeah. photos up there of you. Uh, and I've got not, that. Not, I've got an old photo of us in Baghdad together. Yeah, I, got, we, I think we, I have that, too. That we took together. And I, man, I can't, like, looking back at it, that deployment would have, even though you left early in 0405, that deployment would have sucked so much harder if I hadn't had you there as support. Because you were you and your brother and Jason, that was on the last epi- last two episodes, you guys were family to me. Like, yeah. That's one significant advantage of National Guard units compared to active duty is that, like, yeah, you have those connections with your dudes in active duty, but it's not the same. Well, like, we fucking grew up together. So I had the option to go on that deployment. I didn't have to go. Right. And you were the, right there when I was talking to... Yeah. It's like, I didn't hesitate. Yeah. Like, my brothers are going on this, so am I. Yeah. And... Yeah. I was talking about the... You listened to it on the flight into Baghdad. And uh, on episode six, when, yeah. I, when I was talking about... I was talking to your brother buddy about the flight in and we're riding along because you got you obviously couldn't be on the same plane as your brother yeah like when so we, dumb. we they split you guys up and it's a good reason you know but we had four or five different sets of brothers and then a father and son in our unit as well so they split you guys up and put you on different chalks so that like if that plane crashed both of you guys didn't go out so you, like you made it happen that you were going to ride with me on the plane so we we're sitting there and flying along into Iraq and you were like, had your barf baggie. You're like, Hey man, put this in your pocket. I'm like, why? Like, cause it'll good, make a good seal on a sucking chest wound. If you get fucking shot. I just remember being like, fuck you dude. That's not funny. But at the same time, like, but it's a legit good idea. I'm going to take that and put it in my pocket. <laughs> yeah. If you don't, we didn't have any Asherman chest seals. Yeah. That was, for... We didn't have anything. We didn't have fucking tourniquets. Like, I remember when we got with the ammo. Yeah, when we got with the SEALs and they had, like, the, you know, because they'd all done time in Afghanistan at that point and they had, like, the good old cat tourniquets with the fucking aluminum windlass. Yep. And they're like, you guys want some of these? Like, fuck yeah, I'll take one of those. I still have it. I still have those. Yep. And it's like the old heavy duty fucking Cordura nylon strap with an aluminum windlass. Like, that thing will stop bleeding. Yep. You know, it's not like the shitty little. You know, crappy ones they got now with plastic windlasses you can break off if you're really cranking on them. Just ca- caveat, yes, I did complete the Q course, become a Green Beret, yes. and, you know, carry on with my wonderful Special Forces career after that. Yes. Uh, but we're going to go back in time. Glaze to over that, but. 2004, 2005, and. Uh, Young Sergeant Snake. Yeah. De- <laughs> de- deploying, deploying with you guys. Uh, Shannon was in my squad. And we, we've talked about it before, obviously, at length, but the way that the squads broke down was there was three three-man teams and one, or was there four per squad? No, three-man te- three, three. Three teams. So your squad strength was ten dudes. Yep. So three team leaders and then the squad leader. Yep, and he had his own team and then a medic was generally yep. assigned to yep. that team. I remembered now. My train of thought came back to me. So, <laughs> so that combat drop into Baghdad. Yeah. You know, as my wife and I are listening to the, I was, you know, she caught that little bit. And as we were driving down here today. Yeah. 
on that episode. And I, I remember seeing tracer rounds yep, outside at, the porthole. At the porthole. Oh. We did get shot at. Yeah. Somebody denies it. We are not tracer rounds. Yeah. We're all going to die. I know what I saw. So Yeah. yeah. That's I remember you being like, there's fucking tracers. And I was like, well, yeehaw. You know, so, like nothing I'm going to be able so to do. So I did seize this. the opportunity to quote a line from my favorite movie of all time. <laughs> I'm like, we're on express elevator to hell. Going down. Yep. And, and then I, I remember hearing that and thinking, yeah, he's right. Yeah. And, and then... And then as we're pulling those G, those high G turns and that spiral down to the airport, I was on a big bad company kick at the time. Oh, yeah. And, and I was singing rock and roll fantasy <laughs> at the top of my lungs. <laughs> yep. Because they, uh, for anyone who's not aware, basically when they're doing these combat landings in a C-130, like they'll fly at speed until they get directly over the landing area and then they just like corkscrew down. You know, they'll turn to make a series of right turns and a series of left turns, series of right turns, series of left turns, and then they just land straight on the end of the runway because they need about 300 feet to land these fucking birds. And uh, it's just they go straight down. Like, they're just flying along and then out of nowhere because they don't tell the the rest of the people, the passengers in the plane, they don't tell you shit. They, they might be nice enough to tell you what oh, your flight time is going to be. Hey, yep. you're going to land in Baghdad and now... We're going to just simulate falling out of the sky. <laughs> yep. No and it up. was. Turned out to be like one of the, the best amusement park rides I've ever been on. I, my life. I said that in the last episode that I haven't been on a roller. And that's one reason why I don't ride roller coasters. <laughs> I don't enjoy it. It's not fun um, for me. Nothing will ever rival that for me. Fucking intense. Yeah, that was a trip. And the only thing you could do now is maybe ride a roller coaster while somebody's shooting at you. <laughs> yeah. And it just. Part of it was just the experience and where we were headed and what was going on. But, like, you're sitting on those shitty seats. Your fucking legs and your ass are numb. Um, it's not even a seat. It's just, like, fucking cargo nets strung up between a bunch of pipes on the, you know, and the, and the fuselage and the airframe of the plane. And, uh, yeah, that, that drop fucking sucked. Because I didn't, like, they don't tell you what to expect or no. anything. They just, like, load up, motherfuckers. We're taking you from point A to point B, and then we're the fuck out of here, and we're going back to Kuwait, and we're going to go watch AFN. <laughs> yeah, you got to realize how many times a week that air crew is doing that Yeah, at that point in time. Yeah, because I remember, like, we're making the drop in, and the crew chief's, like, walking down in between everybody, like, checking harnesses and shit as we're flying, like, making the drop in. Like, they're back there. The loadmaster's like sleeping on the fucking pallet until we get to a point. And that's when I was like, something's about to happen because the crew chief, or like the loadmaster guy back in the back, he gets up and he sits down and straps in. And I'm like, oh, well, that's an indicator that something's about to go down. <laughs> if you have to go to the bathroom, we'll put this little curtain up. Like, yeah. Nobody's got to no, I'll, I'll pee just, my pants. Just hold it. Yep. <laughs> but I remember I will forever cherish that experience. Like, yes, it was fucking terrifying. But it would have been a completely different experience if you had not been there with me Likewise, to ride through man. that. Uh, I won't rehash Pebble Beach. Uh, yeah, we've talked <laughs> about that, got that You got that ad nauseum. Yeah. Um, so, but but I will talk about that that first ride out of the wire to uh, from Biop so Camp Falcon. Snake's showing me a picture of him shooting the fucking Carl Gustav, which is a <laughs> big fuck you rocket launcher with his favored... Well, by 
special forces units. Technically, it's a recoilless rifle. That one. Not uh, trying to be anal. But I <laughs> no. just want to make sure you no, have no, the no, proper no, yeah. information. It's a like yes. from uncommon valor. It's it's <laughs> another like see that guy way over there. Yeah, fuck him and everybody else around him. Yep. It's one of those types of tools. So so back to that. So we go out the wire. Okay, we're we're in the back of the five ton truck. Sandbags on the bottom of the bed. Sit on your sea bags. Plywood with it's actually sandbags sandwiched with plywood. Yeah. On the sides. That's, that was our armor. Yeah. yeah. So we're all standing in there and we're riding down Route Irish down to Camp Falcon. And I remember looking across the cityscape, such as it was, and just like, holy cow, there is actual ruin and devastation. Yep. And I'm like, we fucked this place up. Yep. Just but bombed out shit. Later on, I figured out that. That stuff has been fucked up since the 80s mm-hmm. when they were at war with Iran. That's like, oh, we didn't do that. Yeah. They just never fixed it. <laughs> yeah. And then you talk about those first nights, you know, at Camp Falcon, you know, getting mortared like clockwork every other yeah. night. On the off, one of the off nights, I had a nightmare about getting mortared. <laughs> I rolled off of my fucking cot, smacked my chin on the freaking wooden floor, like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember who who saw me. Like, what are you doing? Like, never mind. <laughs> you know, those first few nights at Falcon because we were together. Yep. Yeah, you guys are in you the same get squad. Incoming and everybody like we had our like I had my sh- tennis shoe staged. Yep. With my my uh, IBA with my helmet. Yeah, that's your. And I jump in there. Interceptor body armor. And then I don't. It didn't take long. Like <clears throat> it only took like. Maybe till the fifth night before we just realized nobody's getting up. And that's the fifth night where mortars came in. And bef- up until then, you'd hear everybody hit the plywood. Dum, 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 dum. Yeah. Or they'd run to the bunker. Depending on how close you were right. to the bunker. So the mortars came in and nobody got out of their cot. It's Sergeant. Was like, Anybody going to get up and get their <laughs> stuff on? And uh, answers with. <laughs> so like maybe night five i'm like all right i guess we're just this is what it is yeah we're already this is, used this to is our lives now night five we're already used to this and nobody got up anymore to put their shit on and we just slept right through it yeah so, so poor poor shane we're uh <laughs> after we'd moved into uh steel dragons into the tomahawk building yeah where this we was, also got mortared about every other day, like clockwork. Yeah, three or four months in, when, and, we, when uh, we got the the mission with the seals. Yeah. So him and I are out there. We're loading up Humvees, getting ready for mission. Well, I'm in porta potties. Yep. Our porta potties had so many holes from shrapnel <laughs> in them; they couldn't hold the full complement of blue toilet water. Yep. Uh, I was in. Porta potty on nearest edge. I'm sitting there peeing in the urinal, and I'm watching Shane load the Humvee up. And all of a sudden, boom, boom, <laughs> boom! You know, all these rounds hit the top of the the tomahawk. You know, I was just like, oh, they're gonna walk. They're just gonna keep walking them in here. Yep. And I got a hold of myself. I can't stop. <laughs> I look at Shane. He's crawling under the Humvee. I'm like, hey, you see where it hit? You know, he's like, ah. <laughs> Because they had like the slotted windows on the top, yeah, and like most people would like remember a bunch of them were broke out, 
to get a little bit more airflow through yep. those fucking porta johns because when you did have to wind up in an emergency taking a shit in the middle of the day, then those were the porta johns down on the sidewalk, right? Yeah, yeah right down on the sidewalk. The door, you face a defect yep. across yep. that filth. Yeah, I was also sitting in those one day when the mortar strike hit the uh, parking lot between that street and the defect. Yep. That, yep. And I just was in there going poop. Yeah. And I was. Like, well, this is this is great. If it's I'm my going time to the bathroom and there's mortars coming in and I'm sitting here. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, Buddy and I Buddy and I always joked, we're like, if, if I die in there, just leave me in the porta potty. That's <laughs> 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 oh, gross. Man. Those things were so oh, fucking they were nasty. So fucking I'd hate it because, you know, little Hodge had come clean them out and then the bastards would use them. Yeah. And you and knew they, they used them because there were freaking footprints on the toilet seat because yep. Hodge doesn't know how to use a toilet seat. Yeah. He, he, he'll, he'll, they he's squat. squat. Yeah. And it then was, the worst, the worst was when you'd go out on sector and like most of us had manipulated our bodies to the point where we could try not to shit when uh, you're out on sector. But they, they don't have toilets in the third world, they, and especially in the Arab third world. They've just got a hole in the ground with two little foot pads next to it, and you squat down on that because they just hike up their well, little man dress. Well, they a whole new bathroom, though, over by... Which took them a grand total of a week to destroy. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember the first time going into... Because like, they didn't give us any training on that shit at all. Oh. Like It was never spoken about in pre-mob. Like, we just show up in country, and you're talking to the Hajis, and you're like, hey, man. I got to go take a shit. And they're like, oh, oh, this way, mister. You know, they take you over there. Like, there you go. And you go in there and there's this hole in the ground, two little foot pads, and it's like linoleum or tile. And then there's a fucking hose with a pitcher in the corner. You're like, well, what the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like demolition, man. You know, yep. like, what the fuck are these seashells? The three seashells. Be <laughs> <laughs> like, well, I guess I'm going to figure this out. So it gets to the point where like, that's my Try not to shit down the back of your pants. My famous story about how I broke international ice at the the prime minister's house is I had to go ask where the toilet was. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm walking around. I'm like, Arab, Arab, Arab. I don't know why. This didn't dawn on me that there would be other people in Baghdad who are not Arabs. And there's this black guy. Because eventually I saw Chinese people there. Yep. I saw a little... Red-haired ginger kid one day playing with a bunch of other little kids. Yeah, that walk- Brit- oh, that's it's that, right. that British influence. Yeah, so I yeah, and I walked over and like there's a there was a black guy, and I was like, oh, a black guy. <laughs> I walk up to him, hey man, how- bathroom, and he's like, yeah, <laughs> and he starts speaking Arabic to me. I'm just like, I had an epiphany. I'm like. Oh, uh, okay. Why? Why wouldn't there be? Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> how dumb am I to think that I wouldn't be the only person? You know, we'd be the only country of African Americans, Asian Americans. Right. You know, why? Why wouldn't we have African Iraqis, Asian Iraqis? So it, it, it all clicked right then and there. And I'm like, oh man, I gotta go. And I'm like, bathroom. And he's like, looking at me, shaking his head. So I, you're like, I gesturing. squat down and I go. <laughs> and he's like, oh yes, come. <laughs> grabs my hand and starts walking me towards the shit. <laughs> come on, stupid American. Oh, yeah, come. Yeah. Then, and it was after that when Robert, that same day, yeah. Robert brought up tea to us in the tower. And, and that, 
after we got tea after that, it was all like, because before that, we walked around and everybody was really tense. Like, yeah. they didn't know what to think about us. We didn't know what to think well, about them. Well, because I'm sure that all been like, you know, the Americans are fucking crazy. Like, their Oakleys can, they have x-ray vision with their Oakleys. Like, those are the rumors that were circulating oh, around yeah. at the time. Like, so. I thought we had force fields on the Humvees. Yeah. <laughs> so, th- and this is one of my favorite to a, to a, insurgent superstition warhead tricks they would put electrical tape around the rpg grenade because they thought it would defeat the force field around the humvee <laughs> so i remember we had one humvee with the old school warlock on it yep so the warlock was like a it's a signal jammer essentially that uh disable signals from cell phones or radio because this was at the the early onset of remote detonated ieds yep um so they would use a cell phone or a you know, some sort of signal. And uh, I remember we got, we we're like traveling in a convoy from one point to another inside of Baghdad. And uh, we get stopped by this other convoy because they're stopped. Like, well, there's a fucking IED up there in the road. And uh, they're like, we're trying to call EOD to come take care of it, but we can't get out on the radio. And so finally their squad leader's like, turn off that fucking warlock. Turns off the warlock. Boom. Like, well, I guess they don't got to worry about that anymore. <laughs> I'll just jump in the trucks and fucking drive off. Like, oh, let them know that it's clear. Like, we'll just keep on driving. Hopefully there's no secondaries. We're going to find yeah. out. So, I mean, you, you guys talk, talked about, like, my, my attitude or bearing. Yeah. You know, I refuse to entertain stupidity. Yeah. And play the bullshit. Play the bullshit. I cared, I cared about you guys. I cared about my men. Mm-hmm. And what was tactically made sense. Yeah. And I've carried that with me my entire career. And yeah, me too. You know, and that's another motivating factor for going into SF is you can have a degree of all individuality and, and not be resented for it. Right. And I, I have, I have taken parts of that, you know, as I've seen it from guys like you, that there's ways to do it. There's ways to do it poorly. Yeah. There's ways to do it well. And there's ways to do it where the end goal gets met business gets taken care of and the rest of it, it doesn't fucking matter. I have, I have latched onto that and it's, yeah. it's served me well as a, now as a team leader, you know? Yeah. Well, even, even as a law enforcement officer, mm-hmm. you know, I'm glad I'm not in the game anymore. Oh yeah, man. But like, I am grateful for the experience that I got you guys. I, I remember I started before you guys, Yeah, but you guys have gone and run with it with what I view as great success and I'm proud of all you guys for, for carrying on. Cause it's a difficult job. You're constantly dealing with people on the worst days of their lives. Yeah. But every once in a while, you know, you get to help someone like you actually help someone and it feels kind of good. Yeah. But, but just, you know, dealing with people, there, there's a way to deal with people, mm-hmm. you know, professionally and, how you do that, you know, if you treat a person like a person, they're going to treat typically treat you in kind. Yeah. You know, just like talk about working, working detention. Yep. You cannot, you cannot go there and just be deputy. You, yeah. you dumbass inmate, you yep. do what I say. It's like, talk to these people in a manner that they feel like they have some amount of control of their destiny. Right. And basically you, you get them to do what you want, but, try to get them to think it's their idea that's that's how it is yeah so show up as boba fat <laughs> yeah that, that's another great story 
So, so a- along with uh, Snake's fascination with, you know, aliens and everything else, it was part of my big introduction and love of Star Wars that came from him because all things Boba Fett were were idolized and that got pushed on me as a young man. And then, you know, now today, all three of us share that with our kids and amongst each other, our, yeah. our love of Star Wars. And it's it's a good time to be a Star Wars fan. But yeah, that was... Hey man, I was rocking the Mythosaur school before it was even long cool. To, yep, and that's I'm like you know I hate to have that that hipster vibe about it, but like we've had that shit on our gear for yeah. a long fucking time before other people did. <laughs> Just saying, this and is trust the way. Me, I, I uh, the, the Mandalorian culture is very prevalent in uh, the SF community. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I care. I, I care about people. Mm-hmm. I still care about people, and even on this last deployment. I come to a point where I really give a rat's ass about the uh, nation or the state's department's objective. What I care about is the guy to the right and left of me. Yeah. And that's what I went in. That that Afghan trip was a pretty tough trip for my unit. Yeah. My team, we had our mission that we were doing over there. The other teams were involved with fighting ISIS in the Nangarhar province. Right. And... One of my best friends received three purple hearts that summer. Yeah. And uh, when the army chief of staff came and pinned his purple hearts on him, he's like, how about you don't get any more of these? (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you, man. (laughs) And he's, nah, my my buddy, (laughs) his his name's Ron. He's super awesome. He's, him and I are cut from the same, we're same age. Yep. Uh, He was actually born here. Okay. But he lives in... Okay. And uh, super cool dude, big gun nut. Yeah. Uh, he's got he's got a collection that put all of us to shame. Uh, just awesome things. Right. You know, and a lot of class three stuff. Yeah. Uh, legal class three stuff. Yes. <laughs> I don't care. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I could give a shit less at this point. But it, 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 it was a tough year, you know. I, I, I left, I went on that trip is the senior weapons guy. And at the end of the trip, I was the team sergeant Yeah. at the end of the deployment, just cause we had, we had our own set of issues that we were dealing with. Sure. Um, and that's, you know, hearing things like that, you know, when you came back and we were talking about it, that's what made me realize that, you know, the, the fucked up command problems that I experienced on both of my deployments with national guard units, it's not exclusive. Oh, like hell that, no, that no. shit is army wide. It's, yep. it's service wide. It's, you know, people wind up in positions of leadership that necessarily aren't always supposed to be there. And it doesn't get sorted out until the wrong fucking time. Okay. And that's, you know, that happens. So I don't want to, I, I want to pull something back from current events. Yeah. Okay. Do you remember the video of, you know, this was within the last few weeks that army Lieutenant in Maryland that got pepper sprayed by the cops. Yeah. He brought that situation on himself. Mm-hmm. That, there's things that those cops did that I'm kind of critical of yeah. a lot of officer safety related stuff. Right. But that, that guy could have totally prevented that. You yeah. Know? And just cause he's some chicken shit butter bar. Yeah. You know, for those of you that don't know what a butter bar is, it's a second Lieutenant call him a butter bar. Cause it looks like a, their rank is a gold bar. It looks like butter. Yeah. And he was, he was not complying with the officers. If you do what the cops tell you, you're going to be fine. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty simple, but like, what's going on? 
Yeah. You know, he, he, Why are, he, what's, what's happening? And then what pissed me off the most about that is that you see, so the first video that came out was obviously like one or two, one officer's body cam and you see his, and it only shows, you know, a minute of footage. Yeah. It doesn't show what led up to it. it no. You can't hear what the guy's saying. The audio's shitty because you got verbal commands um, going on. But then they release the homeboys video from in the car, yep. the, the service member's car. And he's, you know, why? What's going on? Why do you want me to get out? Like, the, I, I choose to serve my country, and this is how you treat me. When he said that, when I heard those yep. words come out of his mouth, like, fuck you, shitbag. Oh, hell get yeah. Get the fuck out of the car. You know better. Yep. And I then, know, and then. That it, just never phases me when I hear people say that. Yeah. I'm like, like, no. Fuck you, guy. Doesn't get you any traction. Yeah. yeah but that, fuck that, no. that infuriated me. But so then bad. later, the rest of the video comes out where the officer's talking to him after he's been pepper sprayed. He's deconning him. He's sitting there. He's calmed down. He's talking with the guy like. Yep. Like, the, you can't do this. And, like, you're lucky that we're having this conversation and you're not oh, laying totally. there dead on the ground. You know, like, that that cop be able to decompress that guy and talk to him, deconflict all of that, you know, and that cop's sitting there talking to him. Like, here's why we do what I do. Here's why we reacted the way we reacted because you were being a dumbass. Yeah. You know, and you don't, that part never got out to the media. All you see is, like, this guy's black, the cops are white. He's a service member, and they're using force against him and pepper spraying him. But why? But, but why that, were they doing that? That turd, and I'm going to call him a turd. Oh fuck yeah! Uh, is <laughs> is fucking endemic to what is wrong with the officer corps in the military? Mm-hmm. Fucking self entitlement, self entitled, and not all officers are that way. No, but there is a large majority of just out of touch. They don't. It's like, oh, well, I'm an officer. I can blah, 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 blah. It's right. Like, um, you need a fucking competent E7 to square your ass away, Lieutenant. <laughs> you need a prick E7. You, you just <laughs> you keep your damn mouth shut and you listen to what's going on. Yeah. So side note to that, our second deployment, your brother was my platoon sergeant. And yeah. I had whole and total faith and confidence in him as a leader to make the right decisions to take care of his people. Now, granted, some of that he can't help. But for the first... I mean, the whole lead up to that deployment uh, in the year that we spent at home getting ready for that. And then the two months that we were at Fort Hood, we didn't have a platoon leader. You know, and they were like, well, we're going to get you. We got somebody coming. We got somebody coming. And then like days before we shipped out, here comes the sputter bar lieutenant. That's like, I was 25 at the time, 24, 25. You know, your brother had... 13, 14 years in as an E7 at that point. You know, oh, yeah. I was one of his team leaders. And then our, you know, we got a whole squad of E6s that were very experienced. Yep. Prior combat vets, you know, guys have been doing this for a long time. And we get this 21-year-old, fresh out of OBC, fucking butter bar lieutenant. And he, like, walks in. I will never fucking forget it. We were having a platoon, like an NCO meeting. And uh, so it's all the team leaders, squad leaders, and buddy and new lieutenant had showed up like that day and he comes in well i got ideas about how to your brother's like hold on sir we don't fucking do that here you know like that's not how this is going to happen and it was that was my first glimpse into seeing like a squared away platoon sergeant being like no sir i'm sorry you're going to shut the fuck up and here's how we here's how we do business you need to adapt to us period end of discussion and that was that was pretty eye-opening to me, yeah. you know, and like as a young junior NCO seeing that and being like, oh, well, 
things aren't always as they seem from, you know, and of course the younger, you know, the E3s, E4s, E2s, they don't see that shit. So you'll have to get Jason back on here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they asked me, so when they went on this last deployment, yeah, I came over here. Mm. Oh yeah, you did a bunch of weapons training. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, I, I set up all their weapons for, you know, with their close combat optics yep. and their PEC-15 lasers. Yep. And so they could walk up to the range, get a good 25-meter zero, yep. and then go qualify with them. Yeah. And I, I probably, I spend the morning, yeah, I got invited to do it. Yeah. You know, I worked it out where my unit paid me to come do it. You know, it's just like, sure. all right, here's an awesome SF guy coming to help us out. Spent your own money on a laser, a laser board site. Which I still use. Right. Which is mine. And it's awesome. So I remember, side note, because you had called me, you were like, hey, I'm in town. And uh, I was, like, working plain clothes by that time. Yeah. So I showed up, like, at the armory, and I'd been out for a long time. So there's, like, you know, a handful of dudes that I still know that are still in the unit. So I show up, and I'm kicking around, and they're like, who the fuck is this guy? I'm like, who the fuck are you? Mind your own business. <laughs> <laughs> like, this was my armory a long time before it was yours. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. But, yeah. So, so anyway, get all these guys set up and all the weapons, and their, uh, their commander, who who, again, is a prime example of an out-of-touch person in a command position. Yeah. They're all zeroed. They're all laser bore sighted, mm-hmm. all these weapons. They took all the optics off. <sighs> well, they won't fit in the gun boxes with or the weapons racks with all that. I'm like, what am I doing here? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm like, and, and this captain's trying. I'm like, well, they got the Picatinny rail system on them. It'll hold zero. I'm like... No, it will not. Right. Well, not with those mounts. I'm like, hey, 20 year combat veteran, special forces. Like, I think I'm, <laughs> it, it's like Ron Swanson walking down the fucking Home Depot and the guy comes up to help him and he's like, I know more than you do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. And it just, oh, it was just like, holy cow, these guys are fucked. Yeah. Well, we yeah. were until he was removed. Which, replaced. Tell yeah. me we didn't see that coming. Oh, we all that, we all saw it coming. That's why we had meetings about it before we ever left. Yeah. So out of follow up, I came down and helped you guys with your qualification. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to finish helping with that, because I wanted to, because I didn't forget where I came from. Yeah. You know? And I still got brothers in the in the unit. I'm not too cool for school. Yeah. And I came to help, and I had a good time with it, just hanging out with you. But it's like. <laughs> Just hours and hours of time that if they'd have left the guns alone, yep. they would have saved, and you could have moved on with your lives to some other stupid mundane task. Yeah, some fucking, uh, what's it called? Some sharp training. Yeah. Don't, like, <laughs> 95% of your training in the Army is, where's the fire extinguisher, and don't rape people. Right. The but, rest is, like, maybe a little bit of job stuff, weapons, maybe a little bit of that, but... Most of it is don't rape people. <laughs> Sadly. But don't wh- drink the tea. Yeah. Don't offer them tea. Yeah. Fuck that. Fuck that, man. The tea was the best. The <laughs> but tea like, was the best. Be it, having, having Shannon in my squad, it was great. He, he was actually his team leader. He was a perfect foil for his team leader. <laughs> who was an overeducated younger man. And Shannon had... Plenty of real world experience. Yeah. Which 
carried us through greatly. Yeah. You know, and I was just, I enjoyed my time with you during all that. He was also the member of the squad that could snore the loudest. Oh, that's still true. <laughs> that's our, that last camping trip we were talking about in episode one, when our, we went on our backpack trip. It's like, I'm going to set my tent up over there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I'm a, a, little, a little stretch away from Shannon's because I know, I know what happens at nighttime. Well, I don't have my machine. Well, even me, That's I, what I knew. You didn't have your seatbelt. I've season. wandered my way into the sleep apnea spectrum, and I got a... Got another claim with the VA coming to get no, my CPAP. We're getting a little, a little salty in our in years. It happens. Yeah, I'm going to be 50 in December. Yeah. Well, it doesn't show. <laughs> so uh, I know you got other in, in commitments. Um, well, so what if we come back? <laughs> yeah, we can do more. Or two later today, I'll be out. No, because uh, well, my we'll kids come back again. Because I want to get up. one with Buddy and Jason yeah. here all together. So real quick, um, sage advice. I haven't touched on this in the last episode because we had so many dudes and I knew it would take a long time. You had to give sage advice to somebody that's either looking to come into your world or somebody that's, you know, what's your sage advice? Okay. So your your old team leader, your sergeant. Sergeant. Oh, yeah. Adam. We talked about Adam. He said to me, this was years ago. Uh, it was actually, I took Buddy to the unit, my unit's dining out. Oh, okay. You know, so I met up with him. Yep. And uh, he's like, you know what the difference between you and me is? Is my brain says to stop. <laughs> <laughs> when you do something insanely difficult, yours says keep going. Yep. <laughs> yeah, Because that's, at the end of the day, I think that's what the special operations community is like those guys that just will not quit. Yep. You know, it's not just that, but you need to have that, that will and that, that spirit. Um, I tell, you know, the young guys that asked me, you know, and this was something that an older guy told me when I was a young guy, he's Mm -hmm. like, you, you got to want it more than the next guy. And the thing I carried with myself was like, when I went through selection, I'm like, I'm going to come out of here on two bloody stumps. Yeah. Not at all. Yep. And if I don't get selected, then I'm going to commit sipku. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't ringing out. <laughs> but uh, during selection, I had a guy, he was an officer. Not a bad dude. He came up to me, you know, we're, we're in the middle of land nav. And we cross paths. And he's like, hey, Snake, what do you think should, should I keep going or... I mean, he's basically looking for someone to affirm to him, like, right. keep going or just stop. I'm like, well, you know, that's entirely up to you. Right. Just what are you here to accomplish? And he's like, all right. And him and I were, and one other captain that the three of us from the same unit, from the same, because for months, the guys they were sending to get selected mm-hmm. were not getting selected. Right. They were failing selection, and we were the first three in, like, half a year to get selected. Okay. So, you know, we made everybody happy. <laughs> Good. <laughs> but remember remember what you're there to accomplish. It, it is not for everyone. Yeah. And it's not, it's not Solid Snake and Sam Fisher either. Yeah. You know, you're not going to be sneaking around in a cardboard box, tranking enemy soldiers. Yeah. One thing 
you know, that is that I've learned and I learned this during my last deployment is war is work. Right. How do I know this? Because my team and I drugged 90 Afghan assaulters around a village on the border of Pakistan on the hottest night of the year, hungover. (laughs) 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 And uh, we were still successful. Right. And, but it it was a long, hard fucking night. I can tell you that. Yeah. But it was crazy too. Just six months in Afghanistan of working with Afghans made me want to work with Iraqis. <laughs> That's what everybody says. Like you talk to the guys from that worked with Iraqis and they're like, those dudes were all right after a while. Like, but everyone who works with the Afghanis, they're like, those guys are just, they can't fucking get it. Yep. No, they just won't. The uh, high quality gear is worth the money. Oh, so that leads right into the next, yeah. the, the gear locker question. What's if you had to narrow it down to like one piece of gear that goes everywhere with you that you could not, like, you can't live without that piece of gear. What is it? Well, for me. I mean, minus your rifle, helmet, <laughs> yeah. helmet, body armor, you know, the obvious shit. I always have a, always have a pocket knife. Yeah. Because I don't know how many times somebody's like, you got a knife on? You know, <laughs> it's like, where's your knife? Right. I said multi-tool. That's you my know, That's Yeah, mine. multi-tool, knife, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but just, you don't need anything fancy, just a simple little jackknife to keep in your pocket, mm-hmm. you know? You can whittle with it. Yeah. You, you can open your MRE if, <laughs> if you're so inclined to eat an MRE. <laughs> Clean your which, fingernails. Which I have avoided doing quite successfully <laughs> for the most part in the latter part of my military career. Yeah. But, you know, and like you say, a good flashlight. Mm-hmm. And you can get a good flashlight. For fucking dirt cheap, man. Yeah. So we had a guy in my unit. He he, he was a cop, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, he runs, uh, I think I sent you his yep, info. You said- yep. Runs that place. Well, they got a bunch of polymer flashlights from Streamlight donated to us. Okay. And I have two of those things. Yeah. You know, and I keep one in each vehicle. And they're awesome. Yep. And... I have not changed the batteries out in them yet. LED oh, nice. lights are amazing. Yep. So for I'm telling you, flashlight technology has. But yeah, so we we did uh, SRT selection two weeks ago, and uh, our three new guys are just getting all their gear issued out to them yesterday. So one of my new guys on my team yesterday was talking with him. He's like, "What do I What do I need to buy? What do I need to get?" And I'm like, "Listen, man, like you can spend a lot of money on gear, and like, you can spend way more money on gear you're not going to fucking use." Yeah. I was like, but one thing I would recommend on having having on your kit at all times is a multi-tool, a flashlight, and a pouch to keep some fucking snacks in. Yep. No shit, because we're going to have a lot of long hours wearing this shit, standing around, being fucking bored, and, you know, three or four minutes of sheer terror where shit goes pear-shaped yep. and nothing ever goes right. But in the meantime, you're going to be standing around a lot. So have somewhere where you can snatch some fucking, some good... Like high calorie snacks that's not chocolate because that shit will melt. Do not ever pack chocolate. Like, <laughs> yeah. Unless it's like encased in a candy shell like M&M's and you can manage to keep it from getting smashed. Yeah. But they'll get fucking smashed. Yep. So granola bars, nuts, you know, like good calorie dense foods, power bars, you know, shit like that. So but I just take it for granted yeah. anymore. But manage manage your loadout and, you know, like kick it back to Iraq. You know, you saw dudes... Just loading up with magazines. Oh, I yeah. carried like fucking the, twelve magazines. I carried just a regular ammo basic load. They're like, why don't you carry more? I'm like, listen, 
if it comes down to that and it's that fucking bad, I'm sure there'll be plenty of magazines lying around for <laughs> yeah. me to utilize. I say that all the That's time. That's fucked up. Like, it's like, how, how did you feel when uh, when the car bomb went off and destroyed your right eardrum? Mm-hmm. Blew me out of bed. Yep. Yeah. I say it all the time. Like, on my gear, I run one, maybe two rifle mags. Yep. Because in my role, I want to be light. I want to be quick. And most of the time, I realize that I'm that's going to get me through what I need. And uh, I always say the caveat to them, well, I only need three mags, two rifle mags, two pistol mags. Like, because when the time comes, there'll be enough fucking geardo, queerdo assholes like you standing outside <laughs> that aren't going to go in there that I can snag one of your magazines oh, as I'm yeah. on, running my way past I mean, you. If it gets so bad, there's going to be a lot of people in the streets that yeah. I can just go yes. So, like, my, my loadout <laughs> my loadout in Afghanistan, I had two SCAR rifles that I carried. Mm-hmm. Uh, one was for my patrolling, which had a 16-inch barrel, and I carried a magazine in the gun, yep. three magazines on my body armor, and two additional magazines in my assault pack. Mm-hmm. That's... I really didn't have a lot of ammo, yeah. per se, but I had a lot of Afghans that I could direct to do the shooting. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Who needed to be directed to do the shooting yeah. to make sure the bullets were going the correct <laughs> way. You know, the other scar I had, I had it set up in the shorty configuration because we were primarily based in Kabul. Okay. And occasionally we'd make a run down to the embassy because we'd have to meet up with a three-letter agency and synchronize some things and and that was you know we talk about driving through bat you can insert this later into fast and the furious with and dirty johnny (laughs) Uh, so rolling through uh cobble we had up armored land cruisers yeah so you know civilian clothes that's what i loved about being an sf guy i'm rocking a freaking bone phone and uh civilian clothes got my shorty scar you know, yeah, and we're just fucking three vehicle convoy working our way through owning the those streets, yeah, and that was quite a ride too. Just like moving through Baghdad. I have a question. So, let's say when you're in a place like Kabul, is there you guys with beards, the other people with beards? Do you guys ever get together? Do you guys intermingle? Is or do you say separated, like cross branch or soft oh. team? Cross branch. You go hang out with the. Navy guys, or it, you can if you guys, I mean, you guys don't have like you guys mix. You don't have the if camaraderie, not. Well, I'm not gonna lie, the SF guys and the SEALs don't necessarily hang out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know, we come across some of the other guys. Yeah, you know, here and there, and sometimes they might be on a mission with us too, or yeah. we might be on a mission with them. Yeah, or former guys. There's so much like. I don't know. Intermarriage, like yeah, people jumping ship from one, one to the other. Um, Retire from one, get a job with the next person. Yep. You know, and there's other than traditional military jobs that you could do where you will still go outside of the wire and accompany soft specific units. Right. And we had some of that too. Yeah. Uh, with us on some missions. So let's talk distractions. I mean, we've already talked about your love for film and. <laughs> And all things Star Wars and aliens and sci-fi. I know you're a voracious reader. Yep. You always have been of many different things. I remember the first time I read Art of War was a copy you gave me yep. as a young man, a young, young man. 
Um, so what are you into for distractions? I know that obviously being married with kids keeps you rel- relatively busy and you're also uh, a property owner. Yep. And uh, spend a lot of time tinkering on shit. Yep. Working on, around the around the property. But what's what's some of your other distractions? That uh, you're into? I don't know if you remember. I had a sketchbook with me in mm-hmm. uh, Iraq. I still have that sketchbook. Um, so I, I I draw, and I think I've sent you some oh, of, yeah. some of my pictures. Mm-hmm. You know, you always have. Uh, I mean, as long as I've known you, like something I did to keep my sanity in Afghanistan was I was. Making art, basically. Yeah. Uh, really had a he- heavy focus on pinups. Yeah. Pinup, for those of you who don't know what pinup is, it's pinup girl. Yeah, like the uh, ones on the nose of bomber planes yeah, back in World art. War II. Nose art. Um, I do that, and I do. I still read a lot. You know, I, I love science fiction, but mm-hmm. I also, I like reading. I love history, too. Yeah. I have to spend a lot of time on the road sometimes going, going to play army. Yeah. Um. And I listen to a lot of audio books. Yeah. And one of my favorite audio books is uh, Gates of Fire by Stephen Pressfield. Okay. And it's a great one. And for those of you that are unfamiliar with it, it's about the Battle of Thermopylae. But it's told from a uh, Spartan helot's uh, perspective. Not necessarily a Spartan, but a guy who was a squire to a Spartan. Sure. And it's it's just a really cool book, and it's it's kind of put in plain speak, and there's a lot of philosophy that, you know, that I can identify with through it. Sure. Uh, but reading, yeah, I, I typically read every night, you know. Sometimes mm-hmm. I, I like to go down the Wikipedia rabbit hole, <laughs> <laughs> you know. You start looking at one thing, and the next thing you know, you're reading about freaking... String theory and shit. <laughs> back, bacteria and... The freaking volcanic trench in the bottom of the ocean, you know. So, I i mean, you guys know that I have sleep problems. I found this podcast. It's called the Can't Sleep Podcast. And this guy will just find a random internet article and read it. But he's got this super monotone, boring voice. And the purpose of it is obviously designed to put you to sleep. But he's got one where he's talking about basically rocket engineering and space travel and black holes and all this other shit, and I find myself sitting there still at like midnight oh, sometimes, just fucking the crap out listening to it. Like, I don't care that this guy's got a droning, monotone voice. This shit is interesting as fuck. <laughs> kind of defeats my purpose. Well, you know, from for a ranch kid that you know mm-hmm. grew up where I where we grew up, you know, just in the random obscure knowledge that I have, you know, yeah. on some things. And that's like, how do you know that? That's and even as a kid in high school, you were that same way that. You were so far out of the cookie cutter mold of every other kid. Yeah. That that's what like I learned to appreciate about you and that's why I think we became such good friends yeah. is that so you're on a different level that it just made you so much more different, especially from, you know, small town, yeah. rural mountain west where we're from, that people were like, That kid's fucking weird and I'm like, Yeah, but that kid's my friend. Yep. Well, you know, <laughs> one of one of my other friends, one of our mutual friends, uh, Liz. Mm-hmm. who was valedictorian in my class. Yeah. I could have been valedictorian. Yeah, I went to... Everyone I, told me. I went to prom with her sister. Yep. I was just talking to her the other day because I was going through a photo album and I found that photo and I <laughs> sent it to her. She's like, oh my God, the pose is awful. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> but uh, she used to get so mad at me, like when we'd be doing science tests or history tests. Because mm-hmm. she, 
That woman, to her credit, she's a doctor now. Yep. She worked her ass off and got that accomplished. Yep. But, you know, she she put in the work. She studied and studied, you know, yep. to make sure she had that 4.0 and all that. And I just, I did the bare minimum. My grades suffered because I wouldn't always get my homework in, and I'd always do 100% on testing. Yeah. And teacher gets so pissed at me. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Okay. Well, I think uh, you got. Yeah, I got to get going. So. I got to go pick. Help the missus out. We'll wrap this up. I'll just turn it off and I'll I'll fade it out and edit yeah, it out. No worries, man. But, um, Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you coming in, man. We will have you again. Thanks for listening to show. me run my suck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. That was episode eleven, part two in the Snake Eater series with my older brother, my best friend, surrogate older brother Snake. Can't thank him enough for coming on the show. He's been one of the biggest influences to me in my adult life. And my childhood. Anyway, uh, I'm super glad that I got him on the show. He doesn't live too far away, but it's hard for us to connect, being as we're busy guys with busy schedules, families, and full-time jobs. That being said, uh, make sure you get subscribed so you can catch the episodes when they come out, since I'm not going to be doing weekly releases anymore. I'm not going to make you guys wait like Dan Carlin, you know, six months between episodes, but there is going to be a little bit more space in between. Uh, just got a lot of stuff going on right now, so we're taking a little bit of a season break. Make sure you subscribe. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Podcast Addict, anywhere you can find us. Find us on Instagram at the Doored Up Podcast. Stay safe, stay frosty. Love you guys. We'll see you on the next one.